Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Uh, The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of us gathered here today. I want to encourage you to join with me in your Bibles in the book of Romans. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. And we'll begin in just a moment in verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Both in this space and also in our family life center, I want to welcome the rest of our church family into this study as we continue in a series entitled, That Kind of Church. And as we are turning there, I just want to give a word of encouragement to this body. Listen, sitting here a moment ago listening to our choir and orchestra and our ensemble singing and And what you may not know is during rehearsals in the Family Life Center in the mornings, I go and I listen to them rehearse so I can can have a feast on both ends of this campus of music. And I'm telling you, we are blessed in this space with musical leadership all over campus on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I just give thanks to God that we are a part of a church that values excellence in music and in worship. Amen? Oh, wow. Yeah, many times the greater sermon is in the song that we just sang or the song that we listen to, uh, but I can't, I can't express it enough what our music does here to buoy this preacher's heart when it's time to bring the word. And so I want to bring that word at this moment from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to these words. Let them fall upon your hearts. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith and for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This is the reading of the sacred word. May God now add a blessing to the hearing and to the doing of it. Let's pray. God, in this moment of openness and um, readiness for your spirit, we pray that you would remove any obstacle that keeps us from hearing a strong word from you. Remove any barrier that keeps us from sensing your presence and your, your transforming power for every heart, every mind, every family represented. We pray that you would empower your worshipers wherever we are and wherever it is we have come from this day to truly hear and see and experience your holy love right now. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire and fill us with your holy fire For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, 
then nothing else matters. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. Amen. Well, there is good news and there is bad news. That's what the doctor said to the patient who came in. He said, I've got good news and bad news. And he said, well, give me the good news, doc. And the good news, the doctor said, is you've got, you've got 24 hours to live. Well, then, doc, what's, what in the world is the bad news? And he said, well, I, I forgot to call you yesterday. And I was busy. And just, I, just kinda. There's good news and there's bad news. The deacons came to the pastor and said, hey, for the last three weeks, we, we have had a surge in attendance. There's good news and bad news. We've had like record high attendance in worship. That's the good news. Well, that sounds great, the pastor said. Well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is it was while you were away on vacation. So, so there's a thing there. There's good news and there's bad news. A man jumps out of the plane. Good news, he has a parachute. Bad news, it doesn't deploy. Good news, there's a haystack beneath him to soften his fall. Bad news, there's a pitchfork stuck in the haystack. Good news, he didn't hit the pitchfork. Bad news, he didn't hit the haystack. That's right. There's good news and there's bad news. Like the two friends who grew up together, they grew old together, they loved baseball. Ralph and George, and they agreed that when one died, the other would come back and tell the other what what heaven was like, Ralph died, came back and told George, George, you're going to love heaven. Heaven is fantastic. There's good news and bad news. The good news is there's baseball in heaven. The bad news, you're pitching on Friday. <laughs> so there's, see what I, you know, with the, uh, right? <laughs> there's good news and bad news. And here is the rub. You cannot appreciate the significance of good news until you understand the impact of bad news. What is the bad news that makes the good news good? Now see, the reason I'm saying all that and being kind of silly here at the beginning of the sermon is because today we're in this series about that kind of church and we're talking about our, our core values. And one of the core values that we're talking about is that we value the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growth of his church. Well, the very word gospel is from a Greek word, euangelion, in the New Testament that literally means good news. I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ means the good news of Jesus Christ. But what is it that is the bad news that makes the good news so good? Because you and I can't fully appreciate the significance of the gospel, the good news for all humankind, until we recognize and feel the impact of the bad news that makes the good news good. And what is it? It's just this. Without the intervening love of God, we are doomed. Without the intervening, uh, reconciling, redemptive, uh, pick me up, turn me around, place my feet on solid ground, love of God, we are toast. We are doomed. It is said that the first step of fixing any crisis or any problem is first 
found in admitting that there is one, and here is the admission for all humankind. We are broken. And we are prone to break things. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we're told, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beloved, you were created in the image of God, and you were made in such a way that your life and your living, your loving, your, your laughing, your crying, your existence was intended to glorify God as a reflection of God's beauty and grace and goodness. But we all fall short of our innate God-given capacity to glorify God. It was called sin. And we may fall short in a thousand different ways. We all have different shadows we live in, and we all have different, sometimes invisible drives, in, invisible traps that keep us falling from the glory of God. And what may make me fall may be different than what makes you fall, but all have fallen short. Some are are driven by a kind of pride. Others by an innate sense of deceiving people. Others are driven by envy and greed. Some may be driven by a deep kind of fear that immobilizes them and, and keeps them from living up to the kind of bold, courageous life that reflects the image of God. Some of us are driven by appetites that never can be satisfied. Lusts for more, more stuff, more money, more power, more sex, more pleasure. And some of us are driven not by those things, but by a need to just retreat away from everything that matters and everything that's hard, that's difficult. And some are driven by an anger that affects every relationship. And no matter what your shadow is, no matter what your trap may be, we all fall. And in falling, there is a penalty for falling, falling from the glory of God, falling from the, the image and the, the glory of God. And we're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we're told that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the wages of falling short of the glory of God is, is death. It, a wage is something that you work for, you know? That's, what, that's a paycheck. A wage is a paycheck. Do you realize how hard we work? How much time and energy and, 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 and uh, how much of our life is spent in earning death? <laughs> I mean, we pursue, we, we contend, we compete, we compare with each other, we climb, 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 we defend our own image and ego. And when we do that, we are working ourselves to death, literally. See, there are some things that are even worse than dying. You know what it is? Walking around dead. <laughs> the walking dead. That we walk around carrying within us uh, what I'm going to call this morning just death patterns. Do you ever, you ever met anybody who every attitude, every word that comes out of their mouth, every perspective they have is kind of death-oriented, despairing, and they carry around with this kind of interior death that is just haunting. Well, the wages of sin right, is death, but there's a, there's a good news that slips in there somewhere. The second half of that verse goes this way. But the free gift of, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That there is a way to stop the death pattern of thinking and the death trajectory of 
our relationships and our choices. And here's, here's how. By understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not continue down the pathway of death, shall not continue in the trajectory of the death pattern of life, but shall have eternal life if we yoke ourselves to Christ, if we humble ourselves and yield ourselves to the redemptive, renewing power of God's love that meets us right where we are, then God gives us the capacity to rid ourselves of the death pattern and be infused with life. The word at the end of that phrase there, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word in, in the New Testament is eonion. It's the word where, where we get the word eons. You can have eons and eons and eons of peace, reconciled relationships, stability of heart, steadiness of mind by yielding to the, the power of God's love in Christ. But here's the problem that I see all the time. Most of the time, we think that we have to clean our lives up first before we can experience the renewing power and transforming love of God. Even this week, once again, I, I heard a conversation about someone who wanted to come and connect, connect with God, connect with the church, and yet the belief is, no, we need to stop and make things better first and then we'll clean up and move into commitment. But, but I'm like, what's good news about that? I mean, that's like the, my friend that I quoted a couple of weeks ago who said, that's like waiting to stop bleeding before you go to the ER. You, you, you and I, that doesn't sound like good news to me. That sounds like bad news. See, the good news that transforms the bad news comes in Romans chapter 5. Listen to these words. For while we were still weak, at that right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Oh, perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But, but God proves God's love for us in this, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is spectacular news. You see, you can't appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news informs the good news, but the, the good news transforms the bad news. Amen? There is a free gift available to all of us, and the gift is this. The dead and the dying can live again. The dead and the dying can live again. I'm talking about do you know what it's like to carry around within you a kind of death? Because when Christ was risen from the grave, something else was raised up too. It was a never before experienced inner aliveness in the hearts of his disciples. They experienced an inner aliveness that transformed whatever death they were carrying around in their hearts and, and in their minds. Just ask Mary. Mary standing there at the empty tomb. They've taken the body of our Lord and she doesn't know where they have laid him and she's weeping. And what I want you to get here is this context of death and dying, despair, bad news. 
She's standing at an empty grave, and there are graves everywhere. She's in the context or, or the environment of death and dying. And she's weeping because she has experienced within herself an interior kind of death. Everything that she had hoped for was gone. Everything that she had imagined, dreamed about, everything that had begun to be planted in her because of Christ was now dying and dead. And standing there weeping, she hears a man talking to her and she thinks it's the gardener. And this gardener says, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they have taken my Lord from me and I know not where they have laid his body. And I think about Mary sometimes when I think about my own journey. There have been seasons and I know there have been in your life as well. When you know the heart cry of Mary, do you know what it's like to ask yourself, I, I, I don't know where they have taken the body. They've taken my family and I don't recognize it anymore. Where have they laid, laid the body? Tell me and I'll go find it. They have laid my dreams somewhere else. They have taken my hope somewhere else. They've taken my relationship, my vocational aspiration. They've taken my, my vision for what I had thought this life was supposed to be. I prepared for it. I went to school for it, got training for it, landed the job. And now it's been taken from me. And I don't know what to do with this death that I'm carrying around inside me. And Mary is standing there weeping because she doesn't know what to do with the sense of loss of life, the bad news of death. And the gardener says, Mary. And she recognizes his voice and recognizes in that moment that it's not a gardener. It is the risen Christ. And she is immediately infused with this inner aliveness she is filled with an exhilarating hope and energy and power and she's able to recognize now that it's not only Jesus who has been raised from the dead but there's something that's been raised up inside her too and Jesus says now you are to run and tell my disciples about this and she runs and I love this part of the story because it's the first part of the New Testament that includes a particular word for preaching the word is she went to proclaim, she went to announce, she went to preach. And the very first preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a weeping woman. Could anything be more beautiful than that? It reminds me of Isaiah 52 where we hear these words, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Have you heard that news brought to you? Because this is the whole point. This is why we are here as a body of believers. Because we say that we are part of something that's been alive and growing since the very first wake-up morning on Easter morning in the first century. When, when Carl Donfried describes this inner aliveness that was infused within the hearts of the first believers, he describes this good news this way. The early church did not ask its followers to simply imitate or observe some, some static principles of Christianity, but rather to so comprehend the significance of the Christ event that they could dynamically actualize its implications in the situations in which they lived. The freedom for this actualization and application to the concrete existential situation can only be comprehended when one recognizes that these early Christians were not worshiping some dead prophet of Nazareth. Rather, essential to their very existence was the, was the conviction that this Jesus was raised from the dead by God 
and was now the Lord of the church and was present in its very life. It is this presence of the risen one that both compelled and allowed the early church to engage in such rigorous, vigorous, dynamic teaching and proclamation. This is the inner aliveness that was instilled within the first believers who saw him and had their bad news transformed into good. But my question is, do you know what that inner aliveness is like? Have you felt it? Have you experienced it? Because that is why we are here in this series where we're talking about all of our core values. We've covered a lot of ground. The one we're focusing on today is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growth of his church. That's how we describe it. And this this is how we talk about that as one of our core values. Listen to these words. We say that believing deeply that the message of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and further believing that the church universal is the visible presence of the risen Christ in our age, we value the gospel of Jesus Christ and the deliberate growth of his church so that this sure and certain hope may endure from generation to generation until the end of the age. If that's the conviction that drives us, then what are we talking about when we say we believe in the good news and believe in the growth of the church? You know what I'm not talking about? I'm not just talking about putting people in pews. I want people in pews. I want lots of people in pews. I want, as we say around our pastoral staff table, I want lots of Baptist butts in seats. All right? And if it's not a Baptist butt before you get here, we'll take care of that. And then you can find a seat. I want both venues here and in our contemporary service filled to overflowing until we have multiple services with all of our neighbors who come here to feast upon the word. But I'm not talking about the growth of JCBC alone. I'm talking about the growth of the worldwide church, the body of the risen Christ. I'm not talking about putting bodies in buildings. I'm talking about filling the world with people who have an inner aliveness because of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that I would rather have a small group of folks who are truly alive in Christ than multitudes who come and casually observe? Do you know what you can do with a small number? Well, in fact, it only takes about two or three gathered in his name to turn the world upside down. Do you know why? Because people who are actually, truly, authentically alive in Christ won't shut up about it. They won't stop talking about it because there's something in them that gives them steadiness of heart, peace of mind, gives them a sense of contentment. And a reason to wake up in the morning, do you realize if we were truly alive in Christ, we could not contain all of those who would need to come and hear and eat and drink of the word, the feast upon the word of Christ. So remember in the beginning, don't forget, this this whole thing began with one weeping woman who was so alive because of what she had encountered that she didn't stop talking about it. She ran and preached about it, and those who heard preached about it, and those who heard told others, and somebody along the way told you. The question is, what have you done with that information? Have you sensed an inner aliveness? That's the only good news that transforms the bad news of our age.
Can I tell you what, what it looks like? Earlier this week, I got, a, I got an email from one of our members. Um, Michaela Bryant is a college student. She's at the University of Georgia. I was waiting for somebody to bark or something, you know, go ahead and get it out of your system, all right? She, she is a member of JCBC, and last week she was listening to the sermon, right? And she was listening to the sermon last week where we talked about what, what I referred to as the great reversal by uh, Diana Butler Bass, the great reversal, in which for many, many years we, we have defined belonging to a church in this way, that you've got to believe first, and then if you believe the right stuff, then you've got to behave, and if you behave the right way, then you can belong. But in the great reversal, it's a return to what Jesus intended we believe, which is you belong first. Like a baby belongs to a family, you belong. And in the belonging, you learn to behave. And in the behaving, you eventually learn to believe. But the order has to be put right. If you haven't watched that sermon, I really encourage you to. It is a trajectory setter for our church and our next era. But Michaela was listening to the sermon, and something struck a chord in her. And she told me in this email, and by the way, I got her permission to tell you this story. To, so, you know, don't worry if you email me. I'm not going to read your email out loud to everybody unless I ask your permission. She told about listening to this story about the great reversal. And she was reflecting upon when she was in high school. She was part of a singing group. And this singing group one night gathered around and they, they shared their, their testimony with each other. She was struck by the testimonies of two particular young men. And how they came to a transforming relationship with God. But it occurred to her that she didn't have really a way to express what she was seeing. It was so profound. But the great re reversal described what she saw in their lives. Listen to what she said in the, the last part of her email. Michaela said, today, as I was driving through, I passed a little church. And, and on the sign outside, it had the same verse from Sunday, from the one that I preached. The verse, by the way, was come unto me, all you who are weary and who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Yeah. It was the same verse, and I heard it the way you read it, with the same pauses and repetitions, and I began to reflect on that discussion. It made me think back to the stories of the young men from my group, and while I had always admired the ways they came to Christ, I never really had a way to articulate it before. It took belonging to be a, for them to be able to behave and thus eventually believe. As a young Christian, listen to this, as a young Christian, I often find the Great Commission difficult and nearly impossible challenge. But it strikes me as I reflect that maybe my job is just to make sure someone knows that they belong and let God do the rest. Amen? And she said, thank you, Pastor, for opening my eyes and ears. I hope that you have a great week. Well, guess what, Michaela? I had a great week because of your email, because it is a reminder from the, from the very beginning with Mary standing at the tomb running to preach the good news until this opened email and your good news, Michaela, that you are proclaiming even still, it's a reminder that that's what we do. That's who we are. It's not complicated. It's not complex. Growing the church of Christ in the, in the current age in which we live, it is simply this. Are you alive within? 
Has there been an inner aliveness born in you because of your encounter with Christ? If so, then preaching the good news is simply bearing witness to the aliveness that you have experienced yourself. It's like one hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to get some bread. And that's what we do here. And that's why we do it. And you know why? It's because we are that kind of church. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we are, that we would be filled in this, in this campus, in this body of believers with such an inner aliveness that we can't shut up about it, that we can't stop running to those whom we love, like, like those who are closest to Mary, running to those closest to us to simply bear witness to the fact that the thing that was dead in me is now alive and, and teeming with life. Will you show us, Lord, this day what it looks like to so yield our lives before you that we are not just proclaimers of the good news, but we are demonstrations of it here and forevermore. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs>